You're listening to the Inside Study Abroad podcast, episode number 22. Welcome to the Inside Study Abroad podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Roberts. In this show, we explore the world of international education and meaningful travel with some fascinating guests, a little friendly debate, and a whole lot of practical advice. Let's get going. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. I'm trying something a little different this time around. I'm actually recording this episode in one of my favorite little cafes. If you hear any cars driving by or people chattering or you know, lattes being made, th- things like that, that's what's going on because this is real life. I'm sitting in probably one of the most adorable little cafes in Cerro Ilegro area of Valparaiso, which is my hood here in Chile. So thank you so much for humoring me. We'll try it out. We'll see how it comes out on the post edit. But that's what's going on behind the scenes, at least during the intro and outro. Before we get started, this episode is brought to you by Academic Studies Abroad. Since 1999, ASA has been running summer, semester, J-term, academic year, and faculty-led programs in Europe and Latin America with a unique focus on small groups. And actually, they have a program right here in Valparaiso, Vina del Mar area. Lee Frankel, founder and director of ASA, told me when we started in 1999, I said that if we ever didn't know the names of all of our students, we had grown too big. And I have to say, 19 years later, he's proud to say that they still know every one of their students' names and their unique challenges and interests and driving motivation for study abroad, which is what makes ASA so special and stand out in a sea of huge study abroad companies. Want to learn more and help your students become a part of this very cool, tight-knit community at ASA? Go to academicstudies.com or give them a call at 888-845-845. For ASA to learn more about their study abroad programs in Europe and Latin America. And be sure to tell them that Brooke at Inside Study Abroad sent you. I'm so excited to bring you today's episode with Angela Perryman, Director of Study Abroad at the University of Kansas. Rock Chalk, baby. As many of you all know, I'm a huge Kansas Jayhawks men's basketball fan. So getting to talk to Angela about two of my favorite topics, KU basketball and study abroad, like I'm done life goals unlocked. This is amazing. So before we get into today's interview, I just want to say thank you to everyone for all your amazing support last week during the open enrollment for the Global Pro Institute. We had such an amazing group of new people from a broad range of backgrounds to recent college grads, return Peace Corps volunteers, a few PhDs, a few career changers, uh, just a really great new cohort joining us inside the program. So it's already been a lot of fun. We're getting started this week. Uh, We just had our first group coaching call last night, and the conversation inside our private community is always really engaging. Lots of great questions, lots of resources being shared, lots of feedback. It's, It's just a really fun little part of the internet to be a part of. So thank you guys for uh, enduring all the emails through all that and for all the great feedback on my workshop last week. If you missed the enrollment or you missed my workshop on how to land your dream job in international ed, don't worry. I will be opening the doors again, but in a kind of a different way. So make sure you're signed up for the email list for that. And I'm also going to be putting that workshop up available on InsideStudyAbroad.com as well. So watch your inbox for those things. And if you're not on the email list, you should definitely 
definitely go over to InsideStudyAbroad.com slash subscribe. Get your little hiney on that list because that's where I'll be announcing a lot of these things. As for me and where I am, I'm currently, as I said, in Valparaiso, Chile. I'm into the middle of month six of my year-long crazy adventure around the world. And I will tell you, Coming to Valparaiso is like stepping into the technicolor dreamland of the Wizard of Oz, like after the tornado, right? When Dorothy lands and she walks up the door and all of a sudden everything's in bright, bright, crazy colors. That's what it feels like here. It's, it's incredibly beautiful. The street art is, is just striking and intricate and it tells a really great story of this place. And the rolling city hills are breathtaking, literally and figuratively, pretty out of shape apparently. <laughs> and, and frankly, even if I'm only a week into my stay here in Chile, I'm really beginning to understand the biased opinions I got from Argentinians last month when I mentioned that I was going to Chile and living here for a month. It seems that these two countries have a pretty long history of conflict. I'm learning more and more, and the stereotypes and biases they hold for each other are pretty intense, actually. I'm still trying to understand it and unpack it all. So please send any articles and resources and videos um, that you think give um, a, some context and some backstory to sort of what I'm experienced with the actual people here. When I talk to Chileans and Argentinians and try to get more to the root of their conflict and sort of why they sort of say the things they say about each other, everything I hear is super biased. Um, and, and sometimes it can get a little mean. And so I need some like scholarly objective information <laughs> to help me put everything into perspective. So if you're a, a Chile scholar or an Argentinian scholar or South American scholar, um, let me know if you've got some, some articles or information I could could help me maybe understand this a little better. Um, I'm still that nerdy study abroad kid at heart. What can I say? So on a more personal level, I have to admit that I'm definitely going through a little bit of a six-month slump. So as you guys know, this is a year-long journey, so I'm about halfway through. Um, and you know, as a study abroad pro, I know that having sort of that that trough experience, if you will, is part of the experience. This is part of the, if you want to play the game, this is what you're going to go through when you're, when you spend a long-term time abroad or, you know, immersing yourself in new cultures. But even if you know it's going to happen and even if you know the scholarly research behind it all and you know the coping mechanisms to get through it, it still feels bad in the moment and kind of sucks. So, Send all the good culture shock vibes to Chile so I can hopefully get through this funk without any major issues. I, I can definitely see the bright side of things, so it, it's going okay. All right, let's get into today's interview, shall we? As I mentioned, Angela Perryman is my guest today. She's the director of study abroad at the University of Kansas. In this interview, I talked to Angela about how she successfully transitioned from an elementary and secondary school teacher to a university administrator, how she and her team at KU market study abroad to a campus community that is committed to an on-campus experience, cough i.e. KU men's basketball. The impact of DACA changes on international programs and the broader campus community at KU. And we talk about how anyone can get a yes to an internship opportunity at a university office like hers. We also go into what Angela has been doing to continually up-level her own career in international education. Okay, let's go to the show. Hi, Angela. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to chat with you today. 
I'm very excited to be here as well. Awesome. Okay, so let's get started. How I start all these interviews. What's your international education story? How did you get to where you are today? So it's an interesting one, I think, um, but probably familiar to those who go through study abroad and then ultimately work in the field. I myself uh, grew up in Kansas, in Kansas City, and my family didn't have a travel history at all. So when I came to college, and started to uh, take language courses, Spanish language courses, and kind of explore opportunities for travel, Um, you know, study abroad came to mind. So I had the opportunity as an undergraduate through my coursework in Spanish to spend a semester abroad, and that really sparked in me um, an interest in travel, but I went through all of the processes that a study abroad student goes through in terms of, um, you know, not having a family history of international travel. My parents had never traveled internationally before. So I had that experience of having to really delve into the process, figure it out on my own. And um, and then on the return side of not really having someone to talk to and, and unpack that experience with. So I think in terms of that initial student experience, it was definitely something that got me thinking about the work of study abroad offices and universities themselves in terms of putting study abroad forward for students, but also uh, that is a possible career. So I I finished my undergraduate. I had the opportunity to study abroad again through that time. And then I taught for a couple years and I taught um, both at the elementary and secondary level. I taught language and that got me into the classroom setting and working with students and having an opportunity to kind of push those boundaries with students in terms of language learning, culture learning, encouraging travel And at the point that I decided to come back to graduate school, I knew I wanted to do something in the international arena. So I uh, completed a master's degree in Latin American studies, did my research internationally, but also during that period of time, I worked summers with the Experiment in International Living, leading high school programs overseas. So that was my first experience on being on the other side of program development, working with students on the ground who were going through a similar experience to what I had. And I'd say it just kind of created a love in me for leading those types of experiences and a personal investment in wanting to do that as a career. So it was fortuitous in some respects. I finished my graduate work, which was here at KU. And at the time that I finished, Um, a position was open in the Office of Study Abroad for their program coordinator for Spain and Latin America. So that was my entree position into international education at a public research institution. And then from there, I had the opportunity to advance into a variety of different roles, both here at KU as well as at Colorado State University that kind of led to the position that I'm I'm in now. Right. Oh, I, so many questions came up from that process because <laughs> I actually had no idea that you taught elementary and high school for a few years. So this this is so great. I'm so excited to talk to you about this. So the first thing I have to ask, as a fa- fellow Kansas girl and hearing your story, I have to know, how did your parents react when you sort of called them or came home and said, I, I want to go live in Spain for a few months and study abroad? I mean, how did they react to that? You know, I think to my parents' credit, they were very open to 
the experience. They didn't have a lot of advice to give, but nor did they put obstacles in my way. Oh, that's so good. they, you know, they had said, uh, you know, if you can finance it, you can do it. Um, my first study abroad experience was in Costa Rica. So it was a really cost affordable location for me. And I had some support from the institution in doing that. And so, you know, again, to their credit, they were, or, or maybe not, I don't know, but they were pretty hands off in that, in that process. Mm-hmm. Um, and to this day, you know, I talked to students, you know, when I was abroad, my family and I had one phone conversation over the six months <laughs> that I was there. Yeah. And it was on my birthday when I called them. Right, right. <laughs> so it was just a little bit of a, you know, a different time. I mean, their approach was, well, if something goes wrong, we'll hear about it. And yeah you know, until then off she goes. So. Right. It, does that ever, it's just like, especially now when you're still, you know, working with students, obviously in a different capacity, but you've grown in your career and you can still remember those, those special details about your own first international experience in Costa Rica. I know I have mine as well. I remember buying the little 10 minute phone cards <laughs> from the little, um, store on the corner and using the payphone in the lobby of my building that I lived in and uh, calling my mom maybe like every three weeks for me it was like oh, I'll call you know and now you know students are just like on whatsapp and skyping and they're talking every day I do you ever feel like we're getting old <laughs> I do like yes. the, I, and actually, the better way to say it is like how how do you manage the relatability factor with students and sort of understanding their unique challenges they're facing today versus sort of some of the challenges we faced previously yeah I think you know I think it's incumbent upon us to stay up to date with what our students are doing right um, and how they're communicating keeping in touch relating to their experience as well as you know maintaining their connections back home and I think we also have to push them a little bit out of their comfort zones um, so that's where I use my own experience from you know I think it's I think it's important that our students are connected and I also think it's important that they disconnect right. and so I can speak to the disconnect part <laughs> you know and to to some of the value and the benefit that 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 forced disconnection simply by virtue of what was available produced in my study abroad experience in terms of allowing me to be more fully present um, with the people that I was meeting on site in Costa Rica to really, um, I'd say, be able to engage perhaps more more deeply mm-hmm. or at least at a, in a different way with the friends that I was developing there with the culture, with the community. Um, and it, it just enabled me to live right. life in that country without some of the worries that came along with what might've been happening here. Mm. And so I'd say trying to help students find that balance that works for them and, you know, stay connected to the extent that they want and, and need to with friends and family back home, but also figure out how they can disconnect and be present in the experience that they're having and create space for themselves to reflect on that experience. Right. One of the things that I, I've, I definitely, I think I've presented on this a few years ago, but when I, I don't work as with as many students as I used to, but I still do a little bit of advising kind of on the side, you know, family and friends. I was like, go talk to Brooke. She's the study abroad lady, you know, um, and talking with students, you know, for me and, and then also talking with professionals in in our field is that sometimes I feel like the the conversation that professionals have is typically about like getting students off technology while they're abroad um, with I think the end goal of them of helping them disconnect from home which I think like what you just described it helps them sort of be there as opposed to still half 
half, you know, their foot half on the ground back in the States. But I feel like what is missing there is sort of relating to students where they are now. And the advice I give students too is, is to match their technology use to what their peer, what their local peers are doing, you know? So I think it would be silly for us to tell a student to go to France and study at a university in France and never be on their phone when all of their French peers are on their phone and using technology and using these different social media tools and stuff to connect. I feel like if we can help students figure out a way to utilize all this great technology we have now to help them integrate locally and focus on that as opposed to sort of no technology. Do you ever find that sort of divide? Well, I would say I agree with you 100%. And so when I think about disconnecting, for me, I'm relating that back to home. You're right. But not a disconnect entirely, because I do agree that I think that's how they oftentimes make friends, stay friends, continue conversations, join conversations with the people that they're meeting, um, students, but everyone else internationally through internships and other things. So I think it's great advice. I mean, I think that's the right balance to strike. It's use technology to support your cultural learning, immersion, all of those things while you're overseas, but have, um, you know, we oftentimes encourage students to just create set expectations with their family and their friends about how often they'll be on, when they'll be on, you know, how frequently that communication can come back home and then use tools that you want to use already, Facebook or other means to share updates with your family and friends so that they can live vicarious through you. Right. You yeah. know, vicariously through you without always being in contact and connection and right. conversation with you. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I tell st- people, students too, I was like, do you want to impress people by being on the phone with them and chatting with them constantly, you know, or do you want to be out living and then have stories to actually share with them um, about your experience locally and the people you're meeting and the things you're getting to experience. So anyway, that went off on a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to talk a little bit more about your career. Um, and, you know, as you described, I want to come back to you, transitioning from being a teacher to working, you know, in a traditional study abroad setting. But talk to me about your gravitation towards um, sort of division one, research one university settings at KU and Colorado State. Um, what what do you like about that environment? What what are your, some of the, I guess, the assets of, of that type of ex- career experience? Yeah, I will preface by saying it's what I know. It's mm-hmm. the you know, the institution type that I attended both as an undergraduate and as a graduate student. And my work experience has all been in a D1 institution. Mm -hmm. So for many respects, it's my, it's what I'm comfortable with. Um, But it's also from a professional perspective, I think it has a lot to offer just in terms of the diversity of faculty, staff, students that we work with. And, you know, I think about faculty in particular and, you know, the work of our office oftentimes is going out and engaging with faculty about their own research and their own career trajectories, how international played into that, um, and then oftentimes their international uh, faculty themselves, and how we can um, take those passions, those interests, their histories, their contacts and networks at foreign institutions and develop those into experiences for undergraduate students. So 
for me, that breadth of academic offerings, the diversity of the faculty and staff that we work with, that's really invigorating. I learn a lot in that environment about things that I knew nothing about. Um, I'll, I'll never forget when I first started at Colorado State University, I felt like I had a whole new language I needed to learn mm-hmm. in the agriculture areas right. and what some of our students were majoring in. And you know, I, I would see a student who was in animal science and think, I don't know what study abroad programs to <laughs> do because I need you to teach me what you're doing in your degree and what kinds of courses you need. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it was just it's very diverse in that respect. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of really interesting people who work in higher ed broadly. But I think when you get into a large research institution, the types of activities that they're engaged with and research that they're doing and partnerships that they have internationally, there's just a lot to build on. Mm -hmm. There's some really good foundations there. Yeah, that's great. Well, and that kind of leads me to my next question about I feel like it, it's sort of a an ass. It's a double-edged sword. What I'm about to talk about. So you, we we know each other personally. So you know I'm a huge University of Kansas fan. Rock chalk, everybody. Um, I've been very looking forward, very much looking forward to this interview because I basically you kind of have like my dream job of like director study abroad at the University of Kansas. So um, I've been a lifelong fan of specifically for basketball. They are known as a big basketball school in CAA type of uh, experience. Uh, you know of the likes of Kentucky or Duke or North Carolina or UCLA or something. And one uh, one of the assets, you know, is that it draws a, a a lot of students who want to be part of that that kind of university cultural experience with the basketball program. But I also can imagine that it might also be a challenge for you in study abroad who wants to send students away from that direct experience of being able to go to the games and, you know, be part of that that uh, process, if you will, the season. Um, is it is it a challenge in your office, or how do how do you how do you balance that with the sort of offerings you are presenting to students versus sort of their maybe tendency, some of their tendencies to sort of say, ah, but I don't want to miss the season. We're going to be really good this year. We might go to the Final Four. You know, I can imagine you know that being a conversation a student might have. So I would say that we always compete with men's basketball, um, (laughs) particularly during the spring semester and trying to get students and staff to orientation and other program activities. Right, yeah. Um, We have to be very careful in our scheduling to not conflict with the basketball game. That's just par for the course, part of the job. You know, for students who, I'd say we always start the conversation with students you know, in the same place that most people would, the value of study abroad, the investment that they're making in their future selves. We talk with them about their academic major, courses that they need overseas, their personal interests, programs that will meet those goals that they have, and work with them to select the term that gives them the most, um, that kind of capitalizes on on the learning opportunities and the match to their goals. Mm -hmm. And if that's the spring semester, then that's kind of the foundation that we lay for that. It's really spring semester that's problematic. Right, right. Um, But when students do opt to go abroad for the spring term, we connect them. There's an incredible, you know, KU alumni network all over the world. There are watch parties at different bars at different times in different countries. (laughs) And I'd say our, you know, our study abroad alums, international students who have studied here at KU, they do an excellent job of making sure students know about those. 
And then, of course, we remind them that the heartache will be just a little bit less intense if they're overseas when KU exits early. From- <laughs> I know, which always happens. Not always. Uh, in my lifetime, twice, it hasn't happened, but still, yeah. Oh, totally. I totally, yeah, they won't be sort of in that gloomy sort of campus environment where everyone's kind of just like, what? Right. Yeah. They can, you know, pick up and travel someplace cool that weekend. Yeah. I do have a funny story kind of related to Kansas basketball, totally off topic, by the way. But I when I went to the last I went to my first KU game was also the last time KU and Mizzou played each other before Mizzou went to the SEC. And uh, so it was a huge home game. I think it was like the last game of even regular season. And it was huge. We won in overtime. I will have a whole other podcast dedicated to to telling that story. So tune in another time, people. But (laughs) anyway, we were walking to the game. And, you know, campus was crazy. And there's people everywhere. You know, everyone's in their gear. And this woman stopped me. And she said, you know, in an accent, I don't know where she was from, but not the United States. And, and she's, she said, what, what is going on? I said, do you know where you go to school? <laughs> and so I like stopped for like five minutes. I said, this is a big deal. Cause you know, she's like international student close to my heart, you know? So I tried to explain, I was like, this is big. You need to tell your, you know, she was clearly with some other international students. I said, you need, you guys need to go find a TV somewhere or, you know, find some friends you've made locally and get involved with this. This is going to be a really meaningful part of your time here at KU. And they were like, oh, okay. And they're like, well, we don't like basketball. Like it doesn't matter. Just at least experience one thing, you know, while you're here. But I just yes. thought it was so cute. She was like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, let's go back to your, um, your transition from working as a teacher, a professional teacher, and then transitioning to the university environment. And, and then specifically in the international education, I, through the global pro Institute and inside city abroad, I have a lot of people who, uh, reach out to me who want to make that similar transition. They've, they've been in education for a long time, but they're real. They had probably at some time in their lives, a meaningful international experience. And they really love the idea of, you know, transitioning into this work. And a lot of, sometimes it's a, it's, it's a challenge for people because it's, it's not always a, a very clear, clear correlation or qu- clear sell, you know, when they're applying for jobs. What was your experience like going from that, you know, the, the elementary secondary education world to higher ed. Did you have any challenges with that? Yeah. You know, I, I would say I eased that transition to some degree because I, I went back to graduate school. Mm -hmm. So that time that I was teaching, uh, I was still exploring a little bit what I wanted to do as a career. Um, obviously testing out teaching and language teaching in particular, But one of the things that I did during that period of time, which I think kind of solidified that interest in uh, in international education as a career field, was applying for and then ultimately working with experiment in international living Mm -hmm. and leading high school trips. And, you know, oftentimes I I think there's a real... Um, opportunity there, particularly for individuals who are teaching at the secondary level, who are working with that population of students on a daily basis, you know, who have international experience themselves um, through study abroad or through other, other means, you know, language facility, if you're language teaching, but doing something in the, in the high school space, because that's where you are and where your experience lies and then extending that into the international arena can be a nice way to make that transition Mm -hmm. or gain some skills in that area. I mean, it certainly was that for me. I mean, having program leadership, um, 
as I moved into the international ed field, you know, being able to understand what it's like being abroad with a group of students and that experience that our faculty have and some of the challenges that present in terms of their knowledge and the skills that they need to deploy on the ground. You know, that was really instrumental for me. Um, you know, I would say the other thing is I came into graduate school, I spent a lot of time looking for opportunities that I could be engaged or stay engaged with the international education space. Mm -hmm. So that may be study abroad, but it could also be international student services or the Applied English Center and our English language learners. Um, KU has a certificate program called GAP, the Global Awareness Program, which uh, puts forward a lot of extracurricular activities for students that are international in nature. So just trying to um, through graduate school, find a way to stay involved, to learn about, you know, all of the different activities that were happening on a college campus that relate to or contribute to the international environment, Right, I think was really beneficial when I went out into the job market. Right. Yeah. I think that that's really great advice because uh, I oftentimes people are always asking me, what, what degree do I need to get so I get the job? And I said, well, I... For me, I'm not as concerned with that. If you're just ticking off a box, you're probably going to be miserable for two years of grad school. <laughs> so I'd rather someone study something they actually are really interested in and have a passion for. And then while they're in grad school, like you said, sort of leverage their access to these different um, offices and pr other professionals and opportunities to sort of be a leader on campus that may not be in their job title, right? But they still might have opportunities to do the work that you know, an office like yours is looking for in a new, in a new hire later. And I think that's, that's really, really great advice. Um, and Brooke, can I, I would yeah. just add to that, you know, I, I agree. I think degree is less important than, than the experiences, but I also think it's really interesting for students to think about, or people who are interested in going into this career, um, what their passions are, uh, both in terms of the international education arena, but outside of that as well, and then how those blend. So for example, you know, we see there's a lot of conversations happening in international education about diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of opportunities on a college campus to be involved with diversity and inclusion conversations. So those may be domestic-based. Um, they may involve domestic populations more than international populations, but all of the skills and knowledge that go into those conversations apply when we're talking about study abroad and um, the work that we're doing within our field too. Mm -hmm. So even if a, a person is pursuing a graduate degree or they are looking for work experiences that fall under an office of multicultural affairs, those can be highly relevant and really valuable to an international education unit. Um, I would say the same thing for service learning and undergraduate research as we expand the types of programs that we're putting up, you know, internationally, mm -hmm. having individuals who really understand that space on campus um, or who work in the ethical service learning arena or service learning program development or who have a graduate internship with those offices that can be a really valuable experience that's highly translatable to international education, but not something that we see frequently on a resume. Yeah. Ooh, that's really juicy. Good, good advice, Angela. Thank you for that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that transition. Um, 
you know, for steady red alumni, who I'm sure you get this a lot and your, your team gets this quite a bit at KU, but when students come back, they've had this awesome experience, right? You've heard this line. And then they say to you, how do I get your job? And, um, cause they, you know, no, and no joking aside, they just really find this a, a, a very valuable, meaningful experience like you and I both did. And we wanted to continue working in that field to help more and more people have these similar experiences, which is totally wonderful. And I don't mean to belittle that that desire by any means, but we just hear it a lot. I, at least I do. Um, I'm, I'm curious. One of the things that I advise students sometimes, especially before They've gone the master's degree route, um, and they're they're curious about a career in international education. And I always encourage people to reach out to their alma maters uh, to either work on a project or do some kind of dipping their toe in the water, if you will, to sort of see what the work is like and what the offices are like and figure out if it's even for them. Because my philosophy is that just because you had a great experience doesn't mean you'd be great at facilitating those experiences. Administering is very different than participating. And and I and I think a lot of times people are told over and over again, go get a master's, go get a master's, to even dip their toe in the water. And I think that's a big ticket item to ask people to to pursue just to sort of um, get an understanding of the field. And so my I'd love to know your thoughts on all of that, first of all. But then second of all, I'd love to know sort of as someone who would likely get alumni coming to you saying, how do I get your job? And sort of saying, hey, how can I help in the office? What are what are the ways that people can get a yes from someone like you? If they are, and they're an alum from KU and they say, I'm really interested in international education. I would love to work on a project or do an internship. You know, what's what's the scenario that they would have to present for you to be like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I would say if they're an undergrad, if they're a student who's still on campus and they have some time left, um, I would strongly encourage them to apply for open positions in our office. We we usually have a minimum of 12 student employees at any given time, mm-hmm. um, peer advisors, uh, kind of front office uh, students who also do work with our program coordinating staff. So it's a really great way to gain a broad understanding of what happens in our in our office and to start those conversations with interested students about study abroad and get involved in hands-on advising, marketing outreach opportunities. Um, if those don't pan out, we also on our campus use a study abroad ambassador program, which is a volunteer leadership program. Mm -hmm. So we require that students commit a set number of hours to that, go through training. Um, That's a fairly extensive kind of retreat-based training, and then participate. And so they get, again, opportunities to engage with our office and our staff, um, as well as with our campus in terms of uh, learning more about study abroad, how we operate, getting some tangible experiences in presenting. So they may present on topic specific areas for us, like um, LGBTQ students internationally and doing some work in pre-departure orientation with diverse populations, or they may uh, do some work based on their own experiences in safe, independent travel. So they can, they can actually build some presentation skills and put some meat into those that's really guided by their own experiences and mentored with us. Um, in terms of, I love how well oiled and, um, uh, structured it is just out of curiosity if somebody's out there listening and they are like, wow, 
we'd love to do all that in our office. You know what? Um, obviously, there's a little bit of funding going into it, but at sort of a bare bones level, um, is it something that you feel like you could do if you had a very small budget or no budget at all? So our student employees, um, they're roughly half work study, half not. Okay. So work study students cost us very little. Mm-hmm. Uh, non-work study students, we have student hourly rates on. Our study abroad ambassador program, again, it's a volunteer-based program. So what it takes is staff time mm-hmm. to kind of put it together and facilitate it. And we have done that both through professional staff and through a grad assistant. Oh, nice. Um, and the grad assistant position actually started as an internship. Um, ultimately, we didn't get an intern and it became a grad assistant, but it was originally an internship position that was geared for a graduate student in our higher ed administration program. Right. So I think right. there's different ways that you can pull something together to kind of keep it budget low or mm-hmm. budget neutral. Um, while well, also putting some of those in place. Well, and if anybody's listening right now who is in a position where they're thinking, I want to you know, pitch a project idea to an office or something like that, that I could work on, you know, and, and help out with. If a university nearby doesn't have something like KU has, I think that would be a really interesting project to, to sort of pitch and sort of say, Hey, I'd love to outline and sort of build the structure for creating this, you know, ambassador volunteer position or experience and the training that would go with it and the roles that they would have. And, and that could be a really great, if, if somebody's out there right now going, Oh, I don't have time <laughs> to build out this great ambassador program. That could be a really great sort of internship type of project. Someone could mm-hmm. build out for them. Absolutely. And, you know, to your point in terms of quickest way to get to a yes, <laughs> uh, I'm probably not alone in saying this, but I would say, you know, really do your homework in terms of, uh, who you are, what you're passionate about, and something that you can contribute back to our unit. I think, as you mentioned, I mean, as international educators as a whole, we're passionate about experiential education. We know that there's real value in practical experiences, internships, kind of integrating someone into the work. And we want to mentor professionals into the field to the extent that we're able. But with time and budget constraints, that can be a challenge. If someone has looked at our website and said, you know what, I've done um, work with multicultural affairs units and I'm looking at your website and you don't have a whole lot out there for diversity initiatives and I can build this out. You know, I've done some research and I've got some great contacts and this is what I'd like to propose. I'm really likely to say yes to that. Right. (laughs) We're going to work with you for that versus, you know, a student who comes in and says, I'd really like to do an internship with you. Yeah. Yeah. And And that's... and that's a, and I think that oftentimes people who've never supervised or managed other people don't understand about that is that even though they're offering like free labor and they think oh this I'm offering to work for free this is of course they're going to say yes uh, it's not necess- it's not free in every sense it might be free in terms of there's no line item budget for it but it's not free in terms of like time expenditure um so the time of like supervising and guiding and creating a plan for someone that takes a lot of time and if you're running a big office it oftentimes when i get those emails like hey i'll do whatever you want all i hear in my head is oh my gosh that's so much work but if you're, you're right if somebody comes to me with a plan saying brooke i feel like 
this could be something really cool that Inside Study Abroad could be doing. And here's how I'd like to contribute. And this is what it will look like. And here's what I'm going to need from you in terms of like two two meetings over the next four weeks. I'll be like, oh, ooh, that I can manage. That seems yeah. like something I could do. You're right. And uh, so, so good, Angela. And by the way, I apologize ahead of time if you end up with a lot of emails, <laughs> <laughs> people pitching you project ideas. But hopefully they'll be good pitches now and they'll actually be something that's really value added to KU's office. One of the things I wanted to chat with you about um, is more about sort of current events that are happening right now. And, you know, with the wake of the original executive order that temporarily banned entry for from people from certain countries that happen to be majority Muslim countries. I'm trying to be very fair and balanced in my <laughs> description of it. Uh, uh, I'm just curious, you know, obviously I've talked to colleagues in the international student services side of things who are def- have definitely felt it in lots of different ways, especially the timing of it, you know, the transition between semesters. So students trying to come back to start, you know, the spring semester in some cases. Have you seen any kind of impact or felt has there been any reaction on the education abroad side, at least within maybe the the KU environment that you've seen? So we were fortunate in that we didn't have any uh, international students currently out on study abroad who would have been affected um, by the immigration order, or the executive order. Uh, we do have international students who participate in study abroad quite a bit, uh, both short-term programs as well as our semester programs. So that's something that we're watching, particularly as conversations are out there about potentially an expanded list of countries that may be affected or that may have immigration constraints put in place. Um, it also has affected our our DACA students on campus. This is a population of students that we had worked really hard over the last year to engage in conversations about study abroad and to encourage um, students to investigate study abroad as a potential for them and certainly in light of. Just for someone who may not know the terminology, will you describe what DACA is? Uh, DACA is um, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, and it was a federal program which essentially allowed um, undocumented students to apply for temporary, I don't want to say legal status, but for a stay of deportation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it allowed right. them to apply to be temporary, temporarily here in the United States to have work permits right. and other things. And it was also broadly um, called the Dreamers Act yep. as well. Yeah. Just so if somebody's out there going, wait, I think I've heard of this, but didn't know the a technical name. Thank you. Thank you for yeah. that. So under... Under the Obama administration, DACA students were allowed to apply for something called advanced parole, which would enable them to exit the country and re-enter the country. So they were able to apply for study abroad if they had DACA and also were successful in their advanced parole application. Um, So for us, that was a population of students that we'd been, uh, we recognized was underserved by study abroad and frankly wasn't served at all by study abroad. And we had been really working to open conversations with that population of students on our campus over the last year. And of course, with the new environment, they're, um, they're being encouraged not to leave the country at this time. Right. So that's been one effect that we've seen. And, you know, I think it all kind of remained to be seen whether we see an impact on our inbound international student population. Within our office, we work specifically with students coming in on exchange. Mm-hmm. But, um, 
you know, dependent upon the rhetoric and the general uh, feeling that those students have about study in the United States under a Trump administration, I think we may see, we may see, we'll wait and see, reduced numbers of international students coming into KU. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of universities are in a, a similar boat. And I think the downside to that is that obviously the internationalization of the campus and the diversity of the campuses would take a hit, but also the bottom line of the institution, especially in Kansas, I know I promised we wouldn't get crazy political, but <laughs> especially in Kansas where massive um, cuts to you know, the education sector by the governor's office. I mean, it's just sort of snowballing the lack of funding in education. Oh, anyway, I'm going to get fired up in a second here. <laughs> oh, no, I'll, I'll put something positive yeah, out there. Thank you, thank you know, you. One, of the, one of the things that we've seen as a result of these executive order are really, you know, over the last month, I would say from the time of inauguration through to today, there's been a tremendous outpouring of support for our international students on campus. And a lot of that has been Um, opportunities for our study abroad alums to engage in a meaningful way with our student populations, um, our international student populations specifically. So, you know, just as an example, following the inauguration, our campus, like many campuses, experienced several uh, harassment incidents principally aimed at Muslim students. And our International Student Services Office Um, As a result of some of the calls that they were fielding from students who were expressing fear about walking, you know, on campus um, from class to class, developed a program uh, called Walk With Me that just enabled a student to call in if they wanted to have another student escort them across campus for any reason. Mm -hmm. We had over a thousand students volunteer to serve as escorts for that program. And I thought, To me, that was such an outpouring of student support for our international students and our campus community as a whole. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that gave me the chills. That was that's awesome. That's amazing. Good for you, Jayhawks. Good for you. Uh, (laughs) uh, Well, thank you for sharing that. I know political environment, especially right now, is very polarizing, and so oftentimes I think it is. um, It's hard to talk about it without it being very charged one direction or the other, whereas I feel like conversations in the middle (laughs) um, are really, really important right now. Um, And sometimes it's really hard to, to get there. It's like, you don't, you don't want to touch. I mean, politics is always that touchy subject you're never supposed to talk about, but I feel like even now it's even more charged negatively, especially right now. So thank you for going there with me. (laughs) So switching gears just a little bit, um, getting back into advice you would have for people trying to break into the field or level up in their career, actually. I mean, maybe they're a study abroad advisor right now and they're, they're wanting to level up to an assistant director or something like that. You know, what are some specific things you did at the start of your career? You touched on a little bit that really helped you level up and so that you could earn the subsequent position. So if there's any specific skills that you developed that you, that maybe it was, you were surprised that that was an asset when you were growing in your career that you would recommend people really focus on developing? Yeah. So I may not speak to specific skills, but certainly some actions that I took. Um, And this, you know, again, in relation to my position on a college campus, I tried to seek out opportunities 
both within the unit, but also outside of the unit and oftentimes outside of my principal job responsibilities that I could volunteer for. So this, you know, may include university governance. I did that while at Colorado State University or committees um, participating or or offering my services for job searches that units might have been conducting for other positions, but just really trying to get outside of my office and learn more about what's happening across our campus, the work of different units, and finding out where there's intersection with the work that we do in study abroad. And I think that's really important because it's the, through that learning process, you start to develop ideas about ways that you can do your work differently or ways that you can collaborate with other units. And that idea process then gives you something to bring back and contribute to your unit. And that helps in the promotion piece of your job, you know, just being able to, to be creative, to think of new, new approaches to your work or new ways of doing your work or more work <laughs> that you can do right. to kind of in pursuit of the mission of your office. So I think getting outside your job and outside your office um, can be really important. Networking can be really important to that. And just trying to um, keep an open mind, be creative in your approaches and don't be afraid to propose those um, to to colleagues in your office or to your supervisor in terms of you know, things that you're learning opportunities that you see for the unit to move forward. Mm -hmm. And then the other one I think that I, again, tried to do as I was starting out and still and continue to do, you know, is that idea that I mentioned earlier of trying to gain um, more depth in particular areas that are emergent in the field. So, again, diversity, inclusion, ethical service, learning, internships, international research, outcomes assessment. I mean, I think there's a lot of different places, health and safety, where you can focus some of your professional development, especially if it's an area that you're really interested in or passionate about. And I think that can create some opportunities for you to add to your current portfolio of work or apply for jobs where that might a more of a focal point of a position mm -hmm. um, to see some different advanced opportunities. So kind of making yourself into a specialist and mm -hmm. less of a generalist, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. You know, and I, when I'm coaching people on their career growth or, you know, job search process, one of the things I tell them oftentimes, whether you're doing a volunteer project-based experience um, that I know 100 people are going to email you about, <laughs> or, you know, they're working in a role right now, um, either in or outside of the field, is that often people fall into two categories for me, is that they're either an asset to the office or they're a drain. And if and I tell people that if you're just, like, clocking in, clocking out, doing the bare minimum just to sort of get by, you're, you're not an asset. <laughs> you're on the drain side because most, and especially in a competitive space like international education where... Um, you know, it, you know, it doesn't require an MD to do our work. And so more people can sort of come into this world. And so it gets more and more competitive. Mm -hmm. And if you want to be considered for the promotions or at the top of the, the pile, you know, 200 applicants for a position, you have to show that you're a massive asset, not just someone who clocks in and clocks out. And I think that's really great advice of sort of like getting outside of your unit, outside of your office and expanding there as well. Um, one 
the last question I want to ask you um, is, and I did not prep you for this one, so <laughs> if you don't want to answer, it's totally fine. But it's more about uh, professional development, personal development. I think someone just starting out in their career or someone who may not know you might think, oh, she's director of study abroad at a big you know, university that's well known. She has it made. She has it all figured out. But I think you and I both know that professional and personal development is a lifelong process. We're always working on things. And I'm just curious if there's anything that you would be willing to share that you're still, is something that still challenges you or something that you're trying to work on in your own career or professional development. Mm-hmm. Um, goodness, there's many. <laughs> I mean, I think it goes to that general notion. You know, our career, our profession is really dynamic and it changes daily with the administration or with um, anything that can really happen in the international scope. And I think, you know, as I look, I, I think there's always more to learn. You know, as I think about the health and safety environment that we operate in, I feel like I could devote all my time day in, day out to exploring and learning in that environment and changing and updating what we do here. And it could be a never ending process. <laughs> um, I feel that way about outcomes assessment. I feel that way about, you know, new programs and ethical service learning development. I mean, there's so many things that um, make our field dynamic and it's what makes it interesting. So I think for me on a personal level, in terms of uh, one of the things that I that I struggle with or that I'm constantly kind of keeping at the forefront of my mind is, is finding that balance between being out there and really trying to learn, 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 and then also balancing the immediate work that's in front of us and how we, how we incorporate development time, professional or personal development time into our weekly mm-hmm. work schedule right? and trying to ensure that we're doing that while also, you know, keeping, the day-to-day operations of the office and play. Mm-hmm. I can totally relate to that, <laughs> that tendency to learn, uh, constantly be consuming, consuming information. <laughs> and I do this all the time, you know, especially with like running a business and different things I could be doing to grow internet in, inside study abroad or yoga travel tree. I always have to stop myself and say, okay, do you actually need any more information to take action on this this topic? Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, I, and I know that even in my work in international ed, in the, the traditional sense, there was often times where I remember when I was like creating the pre-departure orientation, for instance, at University of South Dakota, I was reading so many and reading all these resources. I mean, I felt like it was months. It wasn't months, but I was just consuming all these things. And I just, at one day I just had to stop and go, you haven't, you have all the information you need now just do it. And I think making the time to execute on the stuff we're learning, that's where I always had a challenge. And yes. I still, I still am constantly d- doing that. It's like, okay, you learned all this stuff. Now what are you going to do with it? Very eloquently said. Much better than I, but <laughs> no, that's exactly no, no, the no. point. Is- no, but I could, I, what you were saying, it is like, oh my gosh, she's in my brain. That's exactly what I struggle with. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Angela, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been a joy. You are honestly one of the most delightful and measured people to talk to in the field, especially for someone like me who can get so like, 
rah, especially about politics. So thank you for keeping me off the ledge there. I would love for you to share how how people can get in touch with you if they want to learn more about you and your work at KU specifically. Yes. So you can find our office online at studyabroad.ku.edu. Um, and my very brief bio is out there and I can also be reached direct at a perryman at ku.edu. This was awesome. Thank you so much, Angela, for coming on the show. Oh, you're very welcome. And just so you know, Brooke, I do not know Bill Self. Oh yes. That was a question I was going <laughs> to ask you. Oh, teaser there. Oh, bummer. So have you met the man even once? <gasps> I have not met the man. However, I feel like um, we need to do a study abroad program for them. Th- didn't he? Take- well, I was going to say, oh, okay. I have, while I have not met Bill Self, I did have the opportunity to work with our athletic department, both for the men's basketball team and women's basketball team. When they did international travel, we developed courses around their international travel experiences to kind of provide opportunities for an introduction to the country, culture, social history of right. the places that we're going to and some comparative reflection activities. So um, really making that travel a learning process mm-hmm. instead of a um, just a team team competition or team right. travel. Right. So I did get to meet a few of our star players, but nice. I did not get to meet also. <laughs> <laughs> did they, did they, um, were they, how did they, were they receptive to that element? I'm just curious if they were receptive to sort of the academic component of going to wherever they went. Yeah, so interesting. Our athletics department actually originally approached us when our men's basketball team was preparing to travel to South Korea for the World University Games Mm -hmm. and said, you know, we have this travel experience that's occurring in the middle of the summer and um, we'd really like to think about how we can use the or maximize this experience and make it as meaningful and educational as possible. And then, so we had some brainstorming conversations there and then connected them with our Center for East Asian Studies, who kind of developed a course around South Korea. Mm -hmm. And then it just, it came together beautifully. It was wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Angela. If you want to connect with Angela, definitely head on over to InsideStudyAbroad.com and I'll have all of her links and information available there in the show notes. And if you want to follow along with me and follow along on all my crazy adventures, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook as The New Dorothy. But fun fact, I've also started making videos. Yep. I'm a vlogger now, or at least trying to be. And so if you want to catch up uh, in live and in color with me on video, you can go check out my YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash the new Dorothy as well. And hopefully you guys enjoy it. And if you do, maybe you'll subscribe. Give me a little thumbs up on some videos, comments. I always love engaging with you guys there. Also, I want to give a big shout out to Academic Studies Abroad for sponsoring this episode. If you want to learn more about their programs in Europe and Latin America, head on over to academicstudies.com to learn more and let them know that Inside City Abroad sent you. Now, as for where I will be next uh, on this crazy adventure, I'll be in Chile for another few weeks and hopefully next week I'll be sipping some wine here regionally, uh, going sandboarding, which is totally crazy. Please, (laughs) please, God, don't let me break my neck. And uh, hopefully hitting up the beach in Vina del Mar as well, as well as lots of more, lots more videos and things like that coming your way. So thanks again, you guys so much for coming along for the ride.